the cheeseheads who want it fresh and the ones who think Lambeau is a cathedral. This is Pax What She Said. Now, here's Perry Goldstein and Maggie Loney. Welcome back to another episode of the Pax What She Said podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Maggie Loney, joined as always by Perry Goldstein. And it is week four. The Packers are two and one heading back home to Lambeau Field to take on the New England Patriots, which I think maybe would have been a more interesting game, you know, starting out the season. But news obviously has come out that Mac Jones has a high ankle sprain, might require surgery, will at least miss multiple weeks. So looks like, uh, Perry, we talked about it just a couple seconds ago. The Packers are going to face a Brian Hoyer-led New England Patriots team. What is your What is your initial reaction to finding that out? A one Brian Hoyer. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's you obviously never want a player to be injured. I actually had this game circled on my calendar before the season is one that I thought would be really interesting simply because they're very uncommon opponents. They they play very rarely going up against any Bill Belichick coach team, to be honest, is always a really unique challenge. Of course, playing with their backup and not, you know, their star, their new young star quarterback in Mac Jones is going to make this an easier game for the Packers to win one that they should win to be quite honest um less fun it's just a less exciting matchup yeah and I mean thinking about just this is the first time and I can't even think about you know mathematically how long it's been that the Packers will be facing a not Tom Brady led Patriots team so that was going to make it really fun to see you know the Bill Belichick and the Mac Jones connection Typically, it's, you know, whichever quarterback is hosting was the team that ended up victorious between Rodgers and Brady. But now we're going to have, obviously, we saw Rodgers and Brady last week. Rodgers got the nod there. So I was really interested going into this week because I thought Mac Jones was having kind of a rocky start to the season isn't the right way to put it. But I think he was sitting at like two touchdowns and five picks through three weeks. So one of the storylines that I had like in my head going into this game was ball security and Obviously, we saw a lot from this kind of swarming Packers defense against the Bucs, and I wanted to see that carry over against the Patriots. And that's not to say that they won't get their opportunities against Brian Hoyer, but wanted to see Mac Jones in that kind of role. So unfortunate for him. I think Brian Hoyer is like 16 and 23 all time in his career as a starter officially. So definitely we'll have some opportunities there uh, for this Packers defense, but where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the Packers offense? Do you want to start with the Packers defense? What are you What are you excited about for Sunday? I feel like we we started with with the quarterback situation, so let's let's stick with the Patriots offense, Packers defense route. Um, I've been looking at their running back duo, and we know. I feel like Bill Belichick has always been a lean on the run game kind of coach. That's very much his bread and butter. Um, I'm looking at these uh, wide receivers out here and they don't light up the league. So (laughs) Damien Harris, I think, and Ramondre Stevenson are going to be the guys that Brian Hoyer, especially now without Mac Jones' ability to pass the ball, um, are really going to lean on. And they've had pretty nice starts to the season. They both get um, pretty even touches, actually kind of similar to the Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon style rotation that the Packers have in their backfield. They both get thrown the ball, their pass catching backs, um, and they've had touchdowns. They both had a touchdown against the Ravens. 
Um, Damian Harris had one against the Steelers and, and Stevenson has just had his first against the Ravens. So they're, they're weapons, I think for sure. And I would imagine, especially with Hoyer under center, they're going to lean on that run game even more. Yeah. It's really fun to kind of take a look at their receiving core because Ty Montgomery, obviously former Packer, who was, I think most recently with the saints and then went to new England obviously started as a wide receiver was drafted by the Packers to be a wide receiver became a running back. It was like a weird, confusing thing where he wore number 88 and then, you know, played in the backfield for a little bit. Now he's technically back listed as a wide receiver for the Patriots. He has one of their two receiving touchdowns. Like I said, you know, Mac Jones had only thrown two touchdowns so far through three weeks, one of those to Ty Montgomery, the other to Nelson Aguilar. So yeah, just, I think the way that the, the ball is distributed is going to be really interesting on Sunday. Um, Nelson Aguilar right now leads the team in yardage. He has 179 yards through three weeks. He Not and significant. Yeah. And he and Devontae Parker are tied with 14 targets. Jacoby Myers actually leads the team with 19 targets. So you can tell kind of who they're emphasizing getting the ball to. Those are their, I would say their big three. And there's, there's some speed there. Um, those are guys that are really good at stretching the field, which I think is something that we saw the Buccaneers struggle to do in week three. And yes, you can argue that's because they didn't have Julio Jones or Chris Godwin or Mike Evans, but the Packers are really good at condensing the field against the Bucs and making them kind of chunk their yardage out. And I think that's going to be one of the things that we want to see the defense do again on Sunday at Lambeau. Yeah. And I, I do feel like with Brian Hoyer out there, the Patriots game plan is going to be a little bit simplified. So goal is definitely to like limit the big play if it's going to come. But you also don't want to just get dink and dunked by Brian Hoyer down the field and these these running backs. So um, I don't know. I think I look at this roster and to me, the tight ends jump out more than the wide receivers do this duo of Hunter Henry and, and John U. Smith, like last season, at least Hunter Henry was kind of becoming Mac Jones's security blanket. Now I don't know if that's going to be the case with this new quarterback, but you know, like what he can be and how he can play. He's a, he's a vet, right? He's going to be able to do everything that they, they need him to do. So I would actually, as the defense, like have my eye on him because um, he has the potential to step up with Hoyer yeah and I think that's where the middle of the defense is going to be really exciting too um, with Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker because we saw a ton of zone from Devondre Campbell against the Bucs and it was it's it's nice it's a change of pace for us to see which I mean and we did last year too pretty significantly but to see the middle of the defense actually be a strength for the Packers defense, instead of always worrying that the middle of the defense would be exposed, depending on, you know, who your inside linebackers were, it was always just kind of run support or, you know, chasing down running backs as they blew past the inside linebackers. And now we actually have a tandem and Walker and Campbell that are able to keep the plays in front of them. And, you know, I thought we talked about it a little bit on the recap show, obviously, but if Devondre doesn't make that, that save on the, the two point conversion or the two point try, I should say, Darnell Savage was in a good position to do it. So I do. Yeah. Hunter Henry, I think had nine touchdowns last year. So he really was, was coming on hot for the Patriots at the end of the season. So he had a slower start to the season so far this year, but definitely I think somebody that they'll try to get involved for, like you said, a vet like Brian Hoyer. I don't know what the, I guess I would imagine Barry coming out here with his base nickel. I don't see any reason for him to switch anything up against this team. 
Um, I fully expect, like I said, the Patriots to lean on that run game. So defensive line is going to have to get some early work in. Same with inside linebackers to kind of stop that and force Brian Hoyer to pass. And I think once you end up doing that, um, the game is going to be very easily kind of in in the Packers' hands because Brian Hoyer is not going to carve you up hopefully. So as long as this secondary can kind of have its coverage um, shut down and the front can limit the run game, it, it should be a, I don't want to say an easy day because no day is easy, but an easier day than I think some of these like higher flying passing attacks that we, the Packers have seen in the Vikings and the Bucks. Yeah, I thought your comparison earlier with the running backs was interesting, kind of the the Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon dynamic, because they both are already so utilized in the receiving game. Like, yeah. they're going to get their touches, whether it's, you know, through the air or on the ground. And I think the Packers did a really good job of minimizing that with Leonard Fournette. You know, we saw what they gave up against Alvin Cook. We saw them struggle with David Montgomery. And then going into week three, where you knew Leonard Fournette was going to have to be the bell cow for the Bucks offense, they did a great job kind of shutting him down and minimizing that. So... I think knowing that you've got a really dynamic running back tandem uh, for the Patriots who are, you know, exceptional as pass catching backs and as running backs, the Packers will kind of have that circled as part of their game plan going into Sunday is knowing that if you shut them down and you make this Brian Hoyer offense very one note and very mechanical, that's going to be one of the keys to success for this defense. And before we switch, I don't know if you have more thoughts on the defense, but, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, in the recap show, what the what we thought the expectations were for the defense if Jair does play. If Jair does play on Sunday, it sounds like he's day-to-day. He was limited in practice on Wednesday. I think he's going to kind of stick in his boundary spot, and Rasul is going to kind of maintain that nickel role. Do you think Barry's going to get more creative with his personnel packages, knowing that he's got a guy like Nixon who can come in and spells? Do you think Jair will be on a pitch count like David Bakhtiari was? Very good questions. Um, I can see it going a number of ways. What I think Joe Barry is going to end up doing is just stick, like I said, with his base and have Jair and Stokes on the boundary and Sewell in the slot. Now, you made a very nice kind of breakdown of what the Bucks receivers are able to do and why it wasn't necessarily working against Rasul because – They've got those shifty slot guys, really nice speed, and Rasul was having a hard time in man on them. I don't think that's going to be the issue against the Patriots, so I could see him keeping him in the nickel at his spot where he's been playing pretty well. But at the same time, if Jair is not necessarily fully healthy, I could actually see there being a bit of a rotation where he comes into the slot a little bit, or like you said, they rotate him out. They bring Nixon in because Nixon played so well. So if that's the case, it's at least nice to know that there's someone on the depth chart who can, Jair doesn't have to go a hundred percent. I don't, I don't think the Packers will, and I wouldn't want them to push Jair back, especially for this game. They have a really long stretch ahead of them, and they have some hard games coming down the pipeline later on in the season. I think that if they can handle the Bucks last weekend without Jair, they can handle the Patriots this weekend without him as well. So I think easing him back. I think a pitch count is probably what they'd end up doing if they – I love that we're using a baseball reference for football, <laughs> by the way. Um, a snap – 
a snap count would be appropriate. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. And, you know, I think a direct quote from Matt LaFleur was, you know, if you think too far ahead, you get your ass whooped. So clearly it's not what he's doing. But, you know, they asked him about um, if you have to start prepping at all earlier, changing your routine at all to fly to London next week, because we know, obviously, the Packers were thankful to have a home game against the Patriots. And then they travel abroad for the first ever international game or their first ever London game, I should say in week five against the giants and LaFleur said like, no, we can't think about looking too far ahead right now. The schedule stays exactly the same. We have to focus on the new England Patriots. So I, while I completely agree, I also think that, you know, to your point, it's a good opportunity for them to let some of these guys rest because they're going into such a daunting stretch next week where you consider things like jet lag and travel and, you know, these soft tissue injuries that you want to give some time to heal because, you know, you don't want to put Jair out there at Lambeau, have him retweak something and then have him unavailable for a stretch of not harder opponents, you know, to say, but just, you know, where the caliber maybe is a little bit more tricky with, with things like travel. So I think that he doesn't play Sunday. If I guess if I had to put money on it, if I had to guess, I, I say Jair sits this week and, you know, I would be kind of surprised if he did play, but I think that maybe they would have forced him back or not forced him, but brought him back sooner had a guy like Nixon not had such a good game the way he did on Sunday. Yeah, I could see it. Their Packers are notoriously cautious about injuries, especially soft tissue injuries, and especially this early in the season. So I'm fine with it. I think this is an opponent where it's all right if Jair sits out and that's no disrespect to the Patriots at all. It just means they have Nixon. He played quite well. And I think that they can, they can deal with that for another week. Yeah. And I think sometimes you have to take into account like the, the extracurriculars and the other factors, like, you know, the Packers made it work in Tampa where it was 95 degrees and guys were literally puking on the sidelines and, you know, cramping up on the field and you're going you know, you're at home at Lambeau. I think it's going to be like 60 degrees. It's been in the 50s this week in Wisconsin. Like, you know, the the weather is different. There's no travel involved this week. It's your home crowd. So you're not playing against, you know, stadium noise and other factors. So I think just that kind of advantage as well would make them maybe feel a little bit more comfortable. And it's not an NFC opponent. Not that you ever want to drop yeah. a game, period. But the stakes are a lot different when you're talking about playing a New England team at home versus a team like the Bucks away. Yep. Absolutely. Before we switch, I did want to bring something up with you. And I know it's only we're only going into week four, but I've been thinking about some of the players or things that I'm going to be watching for on Sunday. And I don't feel like Adrian Amos has been playing up to his standard of ball so far this season. And that's not to say that he's been bad because he hasn't, he's still Amos and he still looks great, but he's certainly been, I think missing a couple coverages when it's his, you know, when it's his guy um, and has not been tackling nearly as well as we've been used to. What is our concern level for an Adrian Amos right now at safety? I think mine is pretty low. And I say that because the rest of the defense has been maybe making up for it. Like, I know he was in on the the Quay Walker forced fumble, so he was kind of involved there. The first couple weeks, I maybe would have said the same thing about Darnell Savage, and then I thought he had his best game through three weeks, you know, against the Bucks. So 
I think part of it could be just like the defense kind of coming into its own. And mm-hmm. I, I agree with you that week one, both of the safeties looked really off. And I think a lot of that was kind of the coverages and the way that Justin Jefferson was dictating the play on the field. Um, but I, I think they're going to settle down a little bit. And I think part of that is, you know, just kind of learning what this middle of the defense is going to look like with a guy like Quay Walker in there more. But yeah, I would think that I think if you asked him about it, he would definitely say that he's not playing up to his normal standard. But I would say like me personally, when I watch it, my concern level is still pretty minimal. Yeah. Interesting. It's just something that's jumped out at me. And I think maybe we've just been spoiled with the fact that Adrian Amos simply does not make mistakes. Right. And it's very rare for him to blow a coverage or to miss a tackle or to really simply do anything incorrectly. So there is some grace there as well, but I agree with you. I think the defense is figuring itself out and it's playing at such a high level that maybe I'm just scrutinizing a little bit. My, my concern is still low. I still believe (laughs) I just, I I want to see them extend him. So I'm watching for, you know, the kind of season that we expect from him. And so that's why I've just been like, oh, yeah. And I mean, I think I think the safety tandem in general is something that we're going to have to look for, not to completely derail the show. But, you know, we talked about going into the draft that safety could be one of their pressing needs in the first couple rounds. And they obviously didn't take a safety until Tariq Carpenter. But you've got Adrian Amos, who is, you know, due for an extension. And then you've got Darnell Savage, who's got a fifth year option and then nothing. So, yeah. Definitely the safety position, I think, is kind of in flux. But one more thing I did want to talk about, actually, before we switch to the offensive side of the ball, is that if you would have told me through the first three weeks of the season, especially after the way that the Packers started against the Vikings, that the Packers defense would be first in the league in third down conversions, I would have thought that you were insane. But the Packers are first in the league in third down conversions. There have been 31 attempts at third downs only seven conversions. That's a 22.6% success rate. And, you know, say what, say what you will. Maybe that means, you know, week one, the Vikings were converting on first and second down and they didn't need to get to third down. But what we've seen from them as far as growth the last couple of weeks and really kind of locking up, they're also eighth in the red zone on defense, which is pretty significant. There have only been six trips total to the red zone, and three mm-hmm. of those have resulted in touchdowns. So that equates to to one red zone score each week. And I just think that that's been really impressive considering third down defense and the red zone defense in particular was such an Achilles heel for this Packers defense until the very end of last season. Yeah, and those scores have all come on the first drive, which is the Packers just kind of letting letting the offense play out and then clamping down on them which has kind of been their style for a couple of seasons now that's very impressive listeners can't see my face when maggie was reading those third (laughs) down stats but my eyebrows were like up through the roof those are the huge moments where you want your defense to step up and be and obviously you want to limit that means they're also limiting what happens on first and second down right Mm -hmm. they're they're keeping offenses to short gains getting them into third down positions and then winning when they are there. So those are keys to success. I mean, we've seen the Packers go force three and outs. I don't, I would love to see their numbers on three and outs, but a lot, right. There's been a lot of punts against this defense. So I think those stats make sense with what we're seeing when we're watching. Yeah. So let's flip it now and talk about the Packers offense, because we have talked about what our expectations are for the Packers defense and how they can kind of clamp down on this. We keep saying Brian Hoyer led new (laughs) Patriots offense, but I think it's just because we weren't expecting it right to be Brian Hoyer, but it's still Bill Belichick. 
still, you know, one of the most winning head coaches in NFL history, respected around the league. So what do you think he does on Sunday to try and minimize an offense that looked really hot and almost unstoppable through the first three drives against the Bucs? If not for an untimely fumble, I think that game gets out of hand really early. So how does how does Bill Belichick and his defense kind of handle that on Sunday at Lambeau? It's what every single defensive coordinator is going to try to do against the Packers this season, which is stop the run, stop Aaron Jones, stop A.J. Dillon, because um, then the Packers can't get into their RPOs. They can't get into play action because then the run game isn't moving. And that doesn't necessarily mean they can't do any of those things, but it limits their success ability when they try to pull out those things. Um, so that defensive front is going to have to do a lot, I think, really early on to stop the run. Um, if they can't, it's going to be, I think, a long day because I wouldn't say that they're they have two really phenomenal safeties in Devin McCourty and Jabril Peppers. But from a cornerback perspective, there's nobody on there that is going to scare Aaron Rodgers, right? Aaron Rodgers is going to test those corners if he gets the ability to do that. So it's going to be about that front. Yeah, I mean, I was just looking at, you know, kind of the box score from the Ravens game and that ended up, I mean, it started kind of close. It was an interesting game kind of for the first first half maybe. And then the Ravens just pulled away with, I think they ended up with like 188 yards on the ground. So yeah. if you're talking about the key to success on Sunday for the Packers, it's to run the ball and let the let the run game kind of dictate things. And we saw that obviously with Aaron Jones in week two. Uh, A.J. Dillon kind of popped up on the injury report this week with a knee injury, still was limited in practice. I don't think it's anything that's going to keep him out of the game, but definitely something where we're going to want to see a lot of the backfield to open up. You know, we'll see if Christian Watson comes back. Randall Cobb, I thought, had a nice game. We talked about this already in in the recap show. Romeo Romeo Dobbs had his career game through three weeks as a rookie, obviously eight catches, 73 yards, and his first career score. So lots of weapons, I think, for this Packers offense, but primarily leaning on the run game to open things up in the passing game for Rodgers. Yeah, and I expect, you know, the Packers seem to be kind of rolling and you're starting to pick up patterns over the first couple of weeks and it's, like we said, leaning on both the backs who are easily the most dynamic and like biggest playmakers that the Packers have at, right now, and then spreading the ball around to the pass catchers. So Rodgers has been pretty even with the amount of passes he throws at not just the wide receivers, but, but to Bobby Tunyon as well. So getting that ball spread around, just keeping, I think, Bill on his toes is going to be the key here I think it's going to be really fun to see Matt LaFleur kind of get in his his bag of tricks and and pull out something against a very very well-respected and defensive-minded coach in Belichick so it's going to be a, a a fun coaching matchup at the very least is this the first time that LaFleur is playing yes yep yeah yeah okay this is a big one then from a <laughs> from a head coaching standpoint this has to be like one of those milestones, right? If you can beat Bill Belichick. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure this one is got a little extra juice for him the same way that, you know, well, I guess completely differently than, you know, going up against like Shanahan's your buddy, Robert Sala's your buddy. Bill Belichick is just somebody that if you are in the NFL, even if you're not a coach, like you know him and you respect him and his legacy. So really cool for him there. Um, I'm glad you brought up Robert Tunyon because he, to me, 
is one of these like really underrated storylines going into Sunday. And I think he has a really big game. And I say that because the Patriots on Sunday gave up three touchdowns to Ravens tight ends. Mark Andrews had two and then Josh Oliver had one touchdown. So I'm looking at it, you know, they gave up over a hundred yards for both tight ends combined. And I just, I think that we've been kind of seeing Tunyon get kind of involved in the offense. And then, you know, Rogers has been Rogers and has been spreading the ball around a lot, which is great. It's what we wanted him to do, you know, kind of in the confines of the offense. But I think Tunyon's going to have some opportunities to make some really big plays on Sunday against this, this uh, Patriots defense. I completely agree. Um, It is interesting that he's been spreading the ball around because I feel like the last couple of seasons, it's been like each game has had a player that's sort of highlighted the game. Now you can very easily say that week two was the Aaron Jones game, but one week it's Bobby and one week it's Lazard. And typically it was always Devontae Adams. And now you can't really pinpoint anyone. You know, you want, you talk about Romeo Dobbs last week simply because it was his first huge game in the league but I don't see that being the case this season, or at least it hasn't been yet, but it would be interesting if against certain teams and in certain matchups, potentially this week, there is one player that just tends to have that advantage against the opposing defense. Yeah. And I'm obviously it's been three weeks and we can't read too much into this just yet, but I was curious to see kind of, you know, when Rogers is playing into the restrictions of the offense, what his numbers look like. And through three games so far, he actually has the highest completion percentage of his career. Really? And yes, he's at a 72.3% completion percentage and his MVP season from 2020, he was at a 70.7. And then, it's it's actually interesting. So 2022 right now is his highest. In 2007, before he became a starter, he had his second highest. So we're going to go ahead and cross that off because he only played in two games with zero starts. And then the three next games or the three next seasons are three of his MVP seasons. So I just think that's really interesting. And I'm not saying that Aaron Rodgers is about to go win the MVP or anything like that. But I just think it kind of shows that when he plays into the offense and spreads the ball around and is protected in the pocket, makes quick decisions, and doesn't try to play hero ball the way that we've seen him do previously, this offense can really work for him, and this scheme, I think, can really open things up for him. So I'm really curious to see if that continues. And we haven't seen as many deep shots. Maybe that's part of it. You know, there haven't been as many chunk plays down the field, but he's hitting his receivers. And for all the the conversation about these young guys, you know, making mistakes and maybe running the wrong routes and dropping dropping passes his numbers are still kind of showing that the offense is working yeah I mean he had what one incompletion the entire first half against the Bucks so and it, it is it's so interesting to look at this Bucks game too in terms of like the way the Packers offense can work because you look at the first half and it's Rodgers on script he's getting the ball out quickly he's not dancing around in the pocket he's trusting his protection and just letting the ball rip versus in the second half where it was exactly what you said it's happy feet it's hero ball it's holding on to it for too long and the results of those two forms of play are night and day now there's obviously many variables that go into that but you want to keep him in that first half of the game mindset and mode um, I always think about I always think about this the way Ben Fennell describes Aaron Rodgers is like a master game manager and not I don't know why this is just something that's always a top of mind for me but it's not game manager in the sense of 
that being a negative, I think it has like negative connotations. And we talked about this last week too, is like Aaron Rodgers has seen everything. He can read every coverage. He can get every defense for the most part. And so he's using his mind and his ability to just get the ball out fast to move the ball down the field. You bring up a great point about the deep shots. I, I mean, I was very much screaming at my television on every like <laughs> third down shot play that just didn't work last year. So maybe part of it is they took a look back at the film and said, okay, some of these were simply not working. So we're going to take these out of the playbook. And I'm sure some of it is also just trusting his receivers. He doesn't have that deep threat right now, like bona fide deep threat right now. Um, so I think the chunk plays will come as that relationship develops with Romeo Dobbs, with the Christian Watson, hopefully when Sammy Watkins comes back, because that's that's his thing. Um, but I'm okay with less deep shots if it means 10, 12 play drives, owning the time of possession and like methodically moving the ball down the field. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think that was it made like the 2011 offense really exciting that anytime the Packers offense took the field, you could have like a 75 yard touchdown to Jordy Nelson or Greg Jennings or, you know, whoever was out there, James Jones, Randall Cobb. But yeah, I mean, I think that when we talk about it, like there's an evolution too with your quarterbacks. And it's not to say that, you know, Tom Brady still can't throw a deep ball. Rodgers has one of the prettiest deep balls. But as quarterbacks age, and it's, it's not comparing either of these guys to like Drew Brees or Peyton Manning, but this, the style in which you play offense changes. And I think what we've kind of seen with Matt LaFleur coming in towards the even, I guess, the tail end of the McCarthy era was that this offense was going to have to evolve. And, you know, Rodgers is scrambling less. Yes, the RPO was really fun when he had one of those earlier this season and actually ran for a first down because it's not the Aaron Rodgers that we're traditionally used to seeing now. And the way that, you know, he still has a, a pretty deep ball. He can still throw the deep ball. He's still one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league, but I like the way that he's playing offense right now. And I just think, you know, I think we're kind of due, though. And I, I say all this to say that I think we're due for, like, a vintage Aaron Rodgers game, and I feel like it could be this week, like a like a four-touchdown zero picks like 140 qbr like that's the kind of game i i, I just feel like it's coming i feel like rogers yeah. is setting us up with this offense and they're they're dinking and dunking and then he's just going to get to the point where he just is comfortable like you said it's going to be a trust thing and he's going to have like a vintage rogers game coming up we are due yeah it's funny that you say that i do think there is something to be said though for rogers continuously trying the deep ball because mm -hmm. There is the strategy behind that of keeping the defense on its heels. Now, I do wonder also any defense going into any game at this point in Aaron Rodgers' career knows that that's always on the table, but he doesn't have, like I said, the field stretcher anymore like he used to. Like there's no MVS really on this team yet. So, you know, I think back to that very first play um, to Christian Watt. I'm like, just if that had hit, how different defenses would view this offense and again they're going to have many opportunities and I hope that they continue to push the ball down the field when given the chance but you don't want to let go of that piece of his game completely yeah and I mean I think I think we're going to see more of that too and I think you know the way that Matt LaFleur has structured the offense through three weeks is setting up a lot of this stuff we talked yeah. about that like you could get so many so many plays out of the same looks and I think I think it was against the Bucks. It might have even been against the Bears, but you know, obviously you had 
the Aaron Jones touchdown where AJ Dillon was like a blocking fullback in pony package. And I think it was against the Bucks the next week where they had that same look, the same, you know, personnel alignment. And that ended up being the touchdown or at least a first down to Alan Lazard. So yeah. just, you know, the way that they're kind of, they're scheming things up. I feel like the deep shots are coming. These little, these little chunk plays are just going to set up for when we get Romeo Dobbs streaking down the field for like a 70 yard bomb. I need it. <laughs> into my veins. Um, all right. Score prediction. I, I do think the Packers put up their most points of the season. I think, I think we're due for it. And, you know, it's not to say that the Patriots won't score, but they've been in some pretty, pretty high scoring games so far this season. Obviously they allowed 37 to the Lamar Jackson led Ravens. The Packers had potential to, to kind of run away with the game on Sunday. And I think the Bucks defense clamped down Bucks defense is one of the best defenses in the NFL. Patriots defense is good, but it's, it's nowhere near the caliber that this Bucks secondary is. So I'm going to say Packers 31 Patriots 17. That was going to be my exact, exact score prediction as well. I, I think that the Packers have the opportunity to score more than 30 in this game. I think they've been set up for all of those opportunities. They're slowly building along like their identity and what these scripted plays look like. And I think they just really need to capitalize and play clean ball and they will. Um, they're going to be a friendly environment. They're at home. This is their weather. Um, the only thing is that it's an uncommon opponent, which I think sometimes those games can get a little wonky, but based on the way that this Packers defense is playing, I see no reason for the Pats to score more than 17. Yeah. And I mean, it, it feels almost like, like weirdly sacrilegious to talk about like a Bill Belichick team not being successful because you never want to discredit Bill Belichick and Brian Hoyer is an experienced vet around the league. You know, he's, he's been there, done that, and he's going to, you know, give the Patriots as many opportunities for success as he can. You might even argue that, you know, he's a better version for the Packers to face as far as a quarterback than Mac Jones, because Mac Jones, I think had his scrambling ability and, you know, Brian Hoyer is going to be more of a true pocket passer. So maybe that makes him more of a threat because we saw the way the Packers kind of struggled when Kirk Cousins was able to stay clean and pick the defense apart. But yeah, I just, I, I think this is, going to be kind of that game that the Packers need where they knew that they left things on the board and we talked about it in the recap show on Sunday where Matt LaFleur said these are my favorite games where we win but there's still plenty to clean up and I think that you know going into this week four matchup the Packers know like all right we cleaned it up like (laughs) this is this is what we can actually do when we're firing on all cylinders in all three phases of the game yep you said it that was fun I mean hopefully this is exactly the score if not you know, a little bit higher, but thank I'll you. I'll take more. You'll, you'll, yeah, we'll take more. We're not, we're not greedy though. We'll just. <laughs> All right. Thank you as always for listening to Packs What She Said. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at PWSS Podcast. You can find us on Twitch, YouTube, and Instagram at Packs What She Said. You can find Perry on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein. You can find me on Twitter at Maggie J Loney. Thank you, of course, for listening to the show. We'll be back on Monday with our recap of hopefully another Packers win where we're talking about hopefully some type of blowout at Lambeau Field. We'll see. Maybe not, but we'll take it. And remember, go Pack Up. Go Pack Up. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 